Now, this may sound obvious to you, but without a vision, you can't create the future. You can only participate in it. But when I look around, what I see is the vast minority of people actually doing the work required to create an original vision. And I see the vast majority of people simply regurgitating other people's visions or copying other people's visions or just not having any sort of vision at all. The conclusion I've come to is that unless you actually get intentional about creating a vision, a vision that's original, a vision that's deeply meaningful, a vision that makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up, unless you take the time and create the space to figure out what this original meaningful vision is, then one of two things is going to happen. You're either going to copy someone else's vision or you're just going to live out a vision that's come from a lower level of consciousness or a vision that you've inherited, a vision that maybe you used to hold. I know because I spent many of, many of my years, much of my life doing exactly that. I lived a version of success that was not mine. It was given to me by culture and by my friends around me, by my peers. This is why I spent eight or nine years in skyscrapers around the world working in the corporate world, busily trying to make as much money as I possibly could, climb up the corporate ladder as fast as I could, and look as impressive and successful as I possibly could because I seriously thought that this was a vision worth pursuing. It wasn't until the end of my time doing that, living that life that I realized, hang on a second, Jiro, this is not your vision. This, and that's why this does not feel authentic. This does not make, feel meaningful. This is not fulfilling you because this is never a vision. This was never a vision that I had consciously created. When I quit the corporate world, it was way back in 2009, and I had no maps and no mentors to, to guide me. All of my friends were also working in the corporate world. My parents thought it was a bloody great idea that I stay in the corporate world. And I had nobody who had, I don't know, broken out or I, I really knew no one who was living a completely different path. So I kind of just set off on a quest by myself. Over the last 10 years, I've created maps. I've created meaning. I've become a mentor for other people who are looking for an original path, a visionary path, something that feels deeply authentic and meaningful. And I guess in this uh, podcast episode, I wanted to share a little bit about this map to visionary states and higher meaning that I've created, which I call the Flow Codex. It's the subject of a book that I'm writing at the moment, um, and it's the subject of a great deal of uh, time and energy that I've spent exploring this, and I guess reverse engineering uh, my life path and the life path of other people that I've studied. And yeah, it'd be really great for you to uh, learn from this if you are looking to get more originality, more creation, more vision, and just more fulfillment in your life. If you feel like you're sometimes sort of living according to somebody else's recipe book or you, there's a little bit of confusion around what path to take, what career path to take, relationship decisions, everything like that, all the big ones. It can be so confusing in this life. And if you're looking for that sort of inner clarity, the, the, the voice of wisdom 
inside. Perhaps you've had experiences of living in these states where you just know what to do. It's just absolutely obvious. You hear this inner voice within you. But perhaps you're in a stage of your life right now where it's all getting a little bit fuzzy and you can't quite tell what the right decision to make is. And every time you make a decision, you end up backtracking, backtracking on the decision. And this contributes to this kind of escalating self-doubt. If you're in that place, well, definitely listen in. So step one of the flow codex is what I call tranquility of mind. This is the skills that I can't wait to teach my children when I have them. This is what I what should be taught to every child, every human being around the world, how to develop tranquility of mind. I'm talking about how to create a relationship with the spaces in between thinking. It's not that thinking's wrong, thinking's wonderful, thinking's powerful, but there isn't so much of an honoring of the spaces in between thought in our culture. And it, isn't, it wasn't until I discovered meditation and practices like meditation that I began to realize that there was so much I could do to develop tranquility of mind. And I realized that the more tranquility of mind I developed, the more space I had inside my head. And the more space I had in my head, the more room there was for contemplation and deep self-inquiry and doing the type of feeling and sensing and thinking that's required to actually create something original, to actually tap into your true purpose, to your original vision. So step one is creating a tranquil mind. If you aren't yet on the path of meditation, then get on that path. You might want to go to flowstate.co forward slash get in flow and you'll download a quick four-step formula uh, to get into peak states on demand. There's a meditation method that I'm creating at the moment, which will be out soon. But that's step one. If you, if you aren't involved in meditation, get involved. If you do know what meditation is and you have a practice, commit to it. It's a long-term thing. The effects that you'll feel in your mind, it's, it's the cornerstone practice. It's the foundational practice. And it's, that's the reason why it's step one of nine on my flow codex. Step number two is learning how to master the cultivation and the harnessing of energy. So the simple fact is, is that we live in a universe that's just full of energy. All matter is just vibrating matter. Everything that looks solid is just vibrating really fast. Everything is energy. The sooner you embody that or take note of that and begin to live your life with respect to that basic fact of physics the sooner you'll learn how to harmonize with, with life itself. The Chinese and the, the Taoists call it qi. The yogis of India call it prana. There's many other words uh, that many other cultures refer to it as spirit. But essentially, there's a life force that we can quite clearly see in every flower, in every apple, in every baby, in every dolphin, in every tree we can see life force. There is an undeniable energy that flows through this earth and flows through the universe. The earth that we live upon is a function, is a result of a potentially massive explosion which basically created such force, such energetic force that it blew things all across the universe and created what we now live on today. Perhaps that's your belief, perhaps it's not. It doesn't matter what your belief is. It doesn't change the fact that we live in a universe of energy and that we can harness this energy. We can cultivate this energy. 
We can expand this energy. We can direct this energy. We can steer this energy. We can leak this energy. We can plug the leaks to this energy. We can um, either dissipate energy and let it leak from us, or we can harness it and point it and use it to our advantage. So learning about how to master your own energy is an absolute pillar of living in the flow of life. It's an absolute necessity if you want to become a visionary creator, a visionary entrepreneur. And learning about mastering energy starts with embodiment. Your body is a temple. It's a absolute, uh, it's a sacred place in which you can explore the energetic flow of life. If you've ever been dancing, if you've ever played sports, if you've ever been surfing, if you've ever just been ridiculously excited or proud or happy or even sad, you will have felt the flow of emotions flooding through your body. You would have felt exhilarating euphoric highs and you would have felt soul-crushing lows. These are energetic flows that go through your body. Become aware of them. Expand your awareness of them. Become intimate with these energetic flows. Become aware of them to the point where it's not so much the the thinking mind's label of what this energetic flow is, but before that, there's an actual awareness, a raw awareness of what this energetic flow is. So that's step two, developing energy mastery. Step three, it's all about meaning, tapping into authentic meaning. And what I mean by this is, Going beneath the conditioning that you have been taught, whether it's by your parents growing up, this is the primary form of uh, conditioning when we're very young, we're being conditioned whilst we're in the womb by the thoughts and fears of of our mothers. We're getting conditioned heavily as soon as we get out of the womb and as soon as we enter the education system, we're basically like putty that's been molded by the forces around us. So developing a sense of authentic meaning means to do the work required to tap in to what is innate, what is solid beneath the layers and layers and layers and layers of programming and conditioning that life on this earth, in this culture, uh, imbues on all of us. So I said the words before, time and space. That's what's really important here. But time, space, and skill. By the time... I was 21, I had realized that I was a deeply conditioned human being. Um, It's not surprising because I grew up as a Jehovah's Witness, which is pretty much a cult. So I was heavily religiously conditioned. So by the time I was 21, I was super aware of this and I was doing everything that I could to consciously recondition myself. How did I do that? Well, I wanted to know wisdom from a variety of sources. So I began to study uh, Greek philosophy, Uh, Eastern philosophy, Taoist philosophy, Zen Buddhism. I began reading Alan Watts. I began reading Krishnamurti. I began reading the books written by physicists and thinkers and um, just as many uh, intelligent human beings coming at topics from a variety of angles. I was also reading novels. Sci-fi has been a wonderful source of uh, imaginative inputs into my consciousness. Um, And I began to develop my own frameworks or my own ideas by leaning heavily upon the ideas of philosophers. The good thing about philosophy is that rarely is something posited as like a concrete solution. That's not the point of philosophy. That's science or dogma. Um, Philosophy is all about positing ideas. 
And the beauty, beautiful thing about an idea is that you can grab it or not. You can feel into it. You can see whether it resonates with you. And I began to be exposed to ideas that completely shattered the limitations of previous levels of conditioning because I began to stumble across ideas that just felt in my body to make a whole lot more sense than what I had been taught as a child. So there we have the first three steps of nine. Just to recap, developing tranquility of mind, developing mastery of energy, and thirdly, tapping into authentic meaning. Now we're into sort of the second pillar of the flow codex, uh, which is basically numbers four to six, codes four to six. And code number four is what I call rock solid habits. So when I was 21, I lived in Japan for two years and I got exposed to Zen Buddhism. And it's a beautiful practice uh, the Zen Buddhists have, quite austere, a little bit strict, but there's a beautiful simplicity to it. And they really are masters of habits and ritual and routine and discipline. And I began to learn so much about what happens when you uh, stick to these rock solid habits. For example, I was meditating for an hour a day. I had a daily gratitude practice. I was journaling. I was doing creative writing very regularly. I had habits that were embedded. And the creation of these habits created a structure, almost like when you're building a house and you create a structure for your house. You create the scaffolding, you create the framing. And it's this scaffolding, the walls and the roof go on top of it, and it creates space in which you can play. And that's the way I look at habits in your life. I pay particular attention to my morning routine, my evening routine, and my after-lunch routine. I have very specific habits around the way that I um, approach my laptop and I approach getting into work mode. I always go create a flow session. I always frame what I'm doing. I always set timers. I create scaffolding around my life so that I can play inside the structure. Number seven is connecting with nature. This is a very, very potent uh, flow pillar. If you want to develop flow mastery and become a visionary, then you absolutely have to develop connection with nature. Some of my clients struggle mostly with this one um, because the nature is foreign to them. It's, it's a scary thing. It's wild. And there's creatures that bite you and plants that sting you. And I understand this, of course. But there's a deeper kind of connection to nature, which manifests as a remembering of who you are and what you are. The simple fact is that we are nature. Any sort of idea to the contrary is the result of a terrible form of conditioning, which has sought to separate us from nature, which is actually the sort of conditioning that's led to environmental destruction and the decimation of species and deforestation and so forth. But we are nature. There's no getting around it. It doesn't matter how many spaceships we build and how many factories we can build. We are nature. We are of this earth. The earth is our mother, just as the earth is the mother of a orangutan or a palm tree. We have originated from this earth. For us to truly know our potential, we must connect with this earth. We must learn how to listen to it. We must learn how to communicate with it. We must learn how to feel the energy that is coming from it. We must learn the vast wisdom and lessons that earth has to teach us. I could go on and on and on about nature connections, but I'll just leave it at a little story of what I did over the past weekend. I have a very beautiful practice of connecting deeply with nature whilst engaging in ceremonial use of plant medicines. And on the weekend, I went to an absolutely stunning area of Australia and we uh, drank uh, a brew made of San Pedro cactus. And I always 
view these uh, experiences as as a sacred opportunity to connect so deeply with nature for my inner nature to to come out and for anything that blocks the flow of my inner nature to actually just fade away for a few blissful hours and when what blocks nature fades away i'm able to connect with the earth connect with nature on levels that just elude me when I'm locked in the busyness of my mind, when I'm hustling, when I'm doing, 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 when I'm on projects, when I'm meeting deadlines, when I'm too deeply in my habits and my discipline, there's a level of nature connection that just eludes me. So creating the time and space to drop into nature, to talk to trees, to watch ants, to smell flowers and leaves, to just allow the the feeling of the sun on your face to observe the moon rising these things are all awakening parts of our consciousness i believe that there's a rekindling of parts of our dna that just just sitting around a fire activates because we have evolved in nature on earth and it's only so recently in our ancestry and in, in our timeline that we've gone to move in these cuboid structures called rooms that are inside houses and put shoes on that separate us from nature and be surrounded by all these radio waves and Wi-Fi signals and all that sort of thing. Up until very, very recently in the whole evolutionary timeline, we were living raw in nature. So what do you think is going to happen when we take ourselves to these raw natural places? It's going to rekindle a remembrance of what it is that we are. And it's the rekindling of this remembrance that I feel is so crucial to the awakening of our visionary potential as multidimensional and powerful human beings. (laughs) the eighth pillar oh not eighth one two three four five the sixth pillar is what i call nourishment of relationships for me if you cast your mind back to when i was living in cities working in the rat race uh, feeling very very detached from a vision that felt fulfilling and authentic I was surrounded by other people living in the rat race and also suffering from those same things that I was just describing. Something very, very interesting happened when I took myself on my flow quest and I began surrounding myself with different people. I began to feel the effects of what I call vision collisions. Another of my friends calls these consciousness gangbangs. But essentially, what I'm talking about is when you surround yourself with other people who are also doing the work necessary to think freely, an exponential, beautiful, uh, accelerated growth of visions is is what happens. If you think about it, your, your visions are pretty much capped by the extent of your personal life experience and the books that you've read, the consciousness inputs that you've had, and potentially past life experience and potentially the limits of your imagination. But then I might say that the limits of your imagination are also capped by the extent of your life experience. So therefore, if you put yourself in situations where you're surrounded by other human beings who are doing the work necessary to free their minds, then all of a sudden you just remove that cap. You remove the limits of your visions. Because your visions can cross-pollinate with their visions. Your ideas can have sex with their ideas. You can create an infinite number of permutations when you start overlaying visions on top of each other. And for this reason, visions are exponential and nourishing relationships of the conscious kind are one of the most powerful ways to accelerate your growth as a free human being living in the flow of life. So, 
Have a look at your relationships. Are you surrounded by people that inspire you? It's a good question to ask. The seventh, eighth, and ninth pillars, I'll get, move through, through these quite quickly because they're less foundational than the others. These are what emerge when you master the six pillars that I've spoken about. Tranquility of mind, mastering of energy, tapping into authentic meaning, developing rock-solid habits, connecting deeply with nature and building nourishing relationships. When you do all this, guess what happens? You, you begin to creatively express yourself. You begin to come up with disruptive, innovative ideas. And you begin to contribute to people and planet almost as a systematic byproduct of just the way that you're living your life. So just to break those down in a bit more detail. So creative expression, this is, doesn't really need any explaining. The other day, the other month, for the last year, just poems and songs have just been pouring out of me. Creative writing has been pouring out of me. And this is because I've done the work necessary to just free my mind from the blocks. There's, and I'm not, I, I didn't used to consider myself a creative person. And now I just love creating, playing guitar, playing the drums. So the more creatively you express, the more you're tapping into the spaces in between thought from which your true potential really emerges. So if you are, if you do view yourself as creative, nurture that. If you don't view yourself as creative, I'm telling you now, you are. You're a creative being. You're just yet to tap into it. So give it time and space. Book in that guitar lesson. Go to that live drawing class. Take some pictures. Just do something to uh, nurture, to, to, blow, to blow on that f little flame, that flickering flame of creative expression that you have going on inside you. Step number eight on the flow codex is what I call disruptive innovation. This is... Uh, you know, disruption and innovation are both fairly entrepreneurial terms. Um, we talk about people disrupting systems. We talk about innovation um, in terms of like new product creation. But I view, also view this in non-entrepreneurial terms. Disruption to me is about looking at the status quo and consciously deciding whether you choose to align to it or not. If the status quo is just illogical, if it just doesn't make sense to you, then disrupt it. Innovate. Create a new status quo, change the way that you drive to work, change the car that you drive, change your diet, disrupt the way that your family does stuff, be innovative, come up with solutions. This is about thinking from first principles. This is about thinking in, in an unboxed way. This is about being a uh, rebel in a sense. This is about looking at the way things are done. And instead of just following like sheep, what's going on, disruptive innovation is about challenging it and coming up with some new, innovative, unboxed idea to change the way things are done. The final step on the Flow Codex, step nine, is what I'm calling systematic contribution. It's been my experience in life, the people that I've worked with, my own life as well, the, the mentors that I've had, the clients that I've coached. What I've observed is that what emerges when people have done the work to develop self-awareness and self-mastery and the expression of purpose is that just like the way a tree, a healthy tree, naturally just expresses apples, oranges, mangoes, fruit. Us as human beings, what we naturally do is express contribution to the greater good. It's so natural to us. Only when we're living in depletion, when we're living in scarcity, when we're, when we're just not in love with ourselves, do we not contribute to the systems, to the, to the species, to the planet that we're a part of. But when we are feeling fulfilled when we are full then there's an overflow 
And this overflow is in the form of systematic contribution to life itself. So I just wanted to close this little solo um, flow nugget with a little breakthrough that I had on my latest plant medicine ceremony recently. And it's about giving and receiving. It's about contributing to life. I've spent a lot of time over the past few weeks thinking about contribution and what is it that helps a human being step into this unrelenting, systematic level of contribution to the greater good. And what I've realized is that there's a key difference between people. Some people are locked in um, need. They're in scarcity. They want something. Something's missing. They need something to fulfill them. Something's not right. The boss is horrible. The job doesn't satisfy them. Their house isn't good enough. They want to move country. Whatever it is. Where, and other people are full. They're satisfied. They um, self-fulfill themselves. They are not in need of anything. There's nothing that they need to receive. So therefore they are giving. They're giving of themselves. They're giving of help. They're giving to others. They're generous with themselves. They're generous with others. They're kind. They're compassionate. So there's this fundamental difference between being in need and being in giving mode. And what I realized over the weekend, as, as I, was, I was spending some time with a shaman from Peru, whose whole life is one of service. His whole life is, 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 is one beautiful gift to life itself. The way that he wakes up in the morning, the way that he goes through his daily routines, the way that he uh, gives his offerings and his prayers and he helps others. The whole, the whole of his life is one, is one beautiful, beautiful gift to life itself. And I realized that if I want to look at deeper ways to contribute to life, the simple question I have to ask myself is, how can I give more? What can I give? What higher level of giving can, I, can there possibly be? And I realized that the answer to this lies in the concept of surrender. When we truly surrender ourselves, we let go of control. We take our foot off the gap, we take our foot off the brakes, and we just give up control. We trust in life itself. We trust in ourselves. We trust in the universe. When we surrender at this level, we, it's, it's, it's like the ultimate gift that we can possibly give. Let me flip that upside down. When we hold ourselves back, let's say that we're holding ourselves back because we have a hesitation in our mind. Let's say we're holding ourselves back because we don't think we're good enough. Let's say we're holding ourselves back because we think that everybody's better than us at stuff. Essentially, this is not surrender. You're holding yourself back from giving of yourself to life. You're, you're holding back. You're being stingy. You're, I know that it's hard, but you're holding back from giving all of yourself to life itself. The way to remedy that is to take this full commitment approach to service, to giving to life, to surrender fully, to jump in two feet first, to just commit to things fearlessly. And this is why I guess I'm so interested in flow, because it's the antonym, it's the opposite of fear. Literally, when we break through fear, when we're afraid to jump off that cliff into water, when we're afraid of taking off on that wave because it's too big, when we're afraid of telling our boss what we really think, we stop ourselves at a threshold. But if we dig deep within to find what's required to step through that threshold and break through that fear, we immediately 
shift our consciousness into flow. We immediately surrender to life. We immediately have the support of the universe. We immediately become different human beings. So if you're, look, if you're on that threshold, if you're wondering, if you want more from life, I'm challenging you to give more of yourself, give more of your courage, give more of your commitment, give more of your kindness to life. Oh, thank you for joining me on that solo podcast. Uh, my name is Jerry Taylor. I'm the founder of Flow State. If you want to, if you want a formula to get into deeper flow, then please go to flowstate.co forward slash get in flow. If you're an entrepreneur or a founder and you have a vision emerging, then I've made a tribe for you. Flowstatex.com. Go check it out. That's it for now. I'm sending you infinite love and blessings. If you've got any questions about the Flow Codex or any of those nine steps I mentioned, you can always email me at jiro at flowstate.co.co. I'm more than happy to answer emails. I love supporting people that listen to the podcast. If you haven't yet joined the free Flow Tribe Facebook group, just find it. You can also connect with me on Facebook. And any questions at all, just let me know. I'm wishing you the most beautiful day, evening, Sending you lots of love. Until next time, this is me out. Thanks for listening to the Flow State Performance Podcast. Check us out at www.flowstateperformance.com for more inspiration to unleash your potential.